This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3244, Friday the 1st of January 2021. Today's show is entitled, Linux Under Attack and is part of the series, Privacy and Security. It is the 210th show of Ahuka, and is about 16 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is, a look at how malware is now targeting Linux, especially servers. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello, this is Ahuka welcoming you to Hacker Public Radio and another exciting episode. And this is going to be part of our security series, Security and Privacy. Um, and this one I've given the title Linux Under Attack. Um, and the, the idea here is that there's no such thing as software without vulnerabilities. So it follows that Linux, while in some ways more secure than alternatives like Windows, is nonetheless vulnerable to attack. Now, until recently, Linux was, to some degree, protected by security through obscurity, which is to say that as a fringe OS, it was not worth investing much effort into attacking it. But things have changed. Linux is winning the data center, the cloud, and the desktop. Consider the data. Uh, And I have links uh, in the show notes to... Uh, back this up. Linux is the most used operating system on Microsoft's Azure platform. Now, Azure is Microsoft's uh, cloud offering, sort of similar to what Amazon offers or other cloud hosting services. Uh, And Linux is used more than anything on Microsoft's own cloud platform. Um, Linux has edged out Windows for serving websites. Uh, Android, which is a Linux variant OS, is the most most used OS in the world, beating out Windows. Um, And a Linux-based operating system powers the popular Chromebooks. So there's no longer anything obscure about Linux. And we should expect to see attacks against it and vulnerabilities being exploited. And indeed, we do. And I now quote from an article, link in the show notes, from ZDNet. There is still a dangerous assumption among many that malware is only a problem for Windows. That might have been more believable a decade or two ago. But the reality is that any computer system that builds up significant market share or plays host to valuable data will now be a target. Linux is increasingly the foundation of many different business systems and vast parts of the cloud. While there are still relatively few threats targeting Linux, there's no reason why that should remain the case. Now, the most serious attacks against Linux are against servers, of course, because Linux is so dominant in the cloud. 
so I just want to kind of run through some of these and see what we can learn by taking a look at this. The first one I want to talk about is something called eBury. Um, now, eBury is an SSH attack. SSH stands for Secure Shell, and it is the more secure replacement for the terribly insecure Telnet. It's a way for computers to talk to each other. And we discussed it previously in, in our SSH introduction and then following SSH episodes, and I put a link to the first one in the show notes. Um, OpenSSH is the open source implementation of this protocol and is the de facto standard on all Linux distros. The ability to breach SSH gives you access to the server and potentially to anything on the server. That makes OpenSSH a prime candidate for attacks. Now, one of the early attacks was discovered by researchers at ESET. That's a security research firm. They helped to disrupt a botnet of 25,000 servers that were infected with an OpenSSH-based backdoor and credential stealer named eBury. Now, in March 2017, Maxim Senak, a Russian, pled guilty for his role in the creation of the eBury malware and for maintaining its infamous botnet, though he was just one member of the group. This malware included a rootkit to persist through reboots and a backdoor to give the criminals access. And once they got in, they started stealing credentials and then used the botnet for things like traffic redirects and email spam. Well, fine, as far as it goes. Then a gentleman, <laughs> I use the term loosely, Donald Austin from Florida, managed to install this malware on the kernel.org servers. Uh, you may remember when that happened. It was uh, quite a thing in the news. Now, one result of all of this is that the researchers at ESET started to systematically look for open SSH vulnerabilities. And when they looked, they found more. One of the first clues that they would find things is that the eBury software would do a check for other SSH malware installs before it installed itself. Their search revealed an entire ecosystem that included 12 new families of malware not previously documented. For a more detailed look at all of these vulnerabilities, they, there's a research white paper from ESET called The Dark Side of the Forsh. Now, that's a a pun in the title instead of force. It's F-O-R-S-S-H-E. Now, interestingly, there are some common features to all of the malware that they studied, despite the fact that each one was on a different code base. Now, they all had hard-coded credentials to enable backdoor access and mechanisms to steal credentials. And when the credentials were stolen, they were always stored locally in a file. Now, if that were all, the criminals would then have to log in using their backdoor credentials and exfiltrate the file in some way. But some of the malware had provisions to push the file out through the network. And I quote from uh, an article in HelpNet Security. Uh, interestingly, those backdoors were also the most complex ones. Not one was based on publicly available source code, the researchers found. Exfiltration techniques for stolen SSH credentials are creative and include SMTP, mail sent to the malicious operator, HTTP, DNS, 
and even custom protocols using TCP and UDP. Now, the best protection against these attacks is to not rely on passwords to authenticate SSH logins. Things like two-factor authentication and encryption keys provide much higher security. And you should always disable SSH logins for the root account. Instead, create a user with admin privileges whose username is not easily guessed by an attacker. And I'll have a little more to say about this at the end. Now, the next one I want to talk about is something called DrovoRub. Uh, this software appears to be the work of Russian hacker group APT-28, which is a group operating from the Russian military's GRU intelligence unit. Uh, it is a multi-component piece of malware targeting Linux systems. I'm going to quote this time from NSA's uh, press release. DrovoRub is a Linux malware toolset consisting of an implant coupled with a kernel module rootkit, a file transfer and port forwarding tool, and a command and control server. When deployed on a victim machine, DrovoRub provides the capability for direct communications with actor-controlled C2 infrastructure, file download and upload capabilities, execution of arbitrary commands, port forwarding of network traffic to other hosts on the network, and implements hiding techniques to evade detection. And C2, when you hear that, just means command and control. Uh, the rootkit capabilities allow it to not only evade detection, but to survive through system restarts and many anti-malware measures. We know it's from this Russian source because they reused a command and control server identified in previous APT28 operations. The precise target is not known right now, but could be anything from industrial espionage to election interference. Uh, there is some uh, detailed guidance on remediation measures in a PDF, and I've put a link in the show notes um, that is uh, written up by the NSA and the FBI. So if you want to learn more about what you can do, check the show notes and download that PDF. Uh, now I'm going to quote again from uh, a ZDNet article. DrovoRub is a Swiss Army knife of capabilities that allows the attacker to perform many different functions, such as stealing files and remote controlling the victim's computer. And they're quoting McAfee CTO Steve Grobman. And he goes on to say, in addition to DrovoRub's multiple capabilities, it is designed for stealth by utilizing advanced rootkit technologies that make detection difficult, the McAfee exec added. The element of stealth allows the operatives to implant the malware in many different types of targets, enabling an attack at any time. Now, all of these articles, again, links in the show notes. Now, Lucifer DDoS. This malware is a cryptojacking and DDoS attack that originally attacked vulnerabilities in software such as Regetto HTTP file server, Jenkins, Oracle WebLogic, Drupal, Apache Struts, Laravel, and Windows. The list of targets is fairly long, but now we can add Linux to that list. The fact that it can run, and I'm, I'm quoting from bleepingcomputer.com, the fact that it can run on Linux-based systems 
means that it can potentially compromise and make use of high-performance, high-bandwidth servers in Internet data centers, with each node packing a larger punch in terms of DDoS attack capacity than is typical of most bots running on Windows or IoT-based Linux devices, the NetScout researchers explained. Lemon Duck. This is another SSH attack malware. It scans the Internet for machines listening to port 22 for logins, then launches a brute force attack using the username root. Uh, we've already talked about why you should disable that. Uh, then uses a list of passwords to try. If it gets into a system, it employs all the usual tricks, such as running cron jobs to aid persistence and scanning for other Linux systems by taking login data from the slash dot SSH slash known underscore hosts file. And there's Fritz Frog. Fritz Frog is yet another SSH attacker with the wrinkle that it's based on a peer-to-peer -peer network rather than a command and control server network. It's basically a combination of a botnet and a crypto miner. It looks for ports 22 and 22.22, and if it gets in, it adds its own SSH public key to the authorized keys file. So, this is just a, a selection to illustrate the point that Linux uh, does face some challenges here. Now, does that mean Linux is not more secure? Not exactly. Linux certainly can be more secure because the code is open and can be fixed by anyone. The idea that trying to keep code secret breeds security has been thoroughly disproven by the many attacks on proprietary systems. The bad guys will find the vulnerabilities. It's only the researchers that are hampered. But in reading the accounts of many of these attacks, I was struck by how often I heard something like, this vulnerability was patched, but... Or, this attacks older versions of... Okay. It does no good to create patches if sysadmins don't apply them. Now, I personally apply all patches as soon as I get them on my home network. Now, there's a chance that a patch might cause a problem, though I cannot think of an occasion where that happened to me. But not applying the patches makes me subject to a known vulnerability. Now, that's a home network. In a corporate data center, the appropriate procedure would be to install the patches on a test server right away and run the appropriate tests with an aim of installing the patches as soon as possible on your production servers. Because remember, until the patches are applied, you have a known vulnerability there. Next, we mentioned not giving the root account SSH login capabilities. Now, this is only one case of the general principle of disabling default logins. And particularly in this time when so many devices are network connected, even when there's no compelling reason to be, you don't want to have the default admin account enabled. There are actually botnets of light bulbs now because of hard-coded login accounts. Now, this one change reduces your attack surface. And while it may not guarantee you won't be attacked, it reduces your chances. Many of these malware attacks are just lurking, looking for easy pickings. And if your machine is not the easy one, they'll just move on to other machines. And if there's one thing that you really want to take out of this about 
default admin logins, the most serious one that most people have is their home router. You know, whether it's a Wi-Fi or Ethernet or Combo or whatever, routers ship with default logins. And malware searches for them. And so the very first thing you should do is you should go in, you should delete that account, create a different account where only you know the name, and give that account the admin capability. You know, that one thing would protect more home networks than, than anything else I can think of. Now, finally, a lot of these attacks leverage problems with SSH. If you are a sysadmin, learn how to use SSH safely. Now, I, I mentioned that we've done a few shows about that on Hacker Public Radio. Uh, but I want to mention a book. A friend of mine, a fellow named Michael W. Lucas, just released the second edition of his book, SSH Mastery. Open SSH, Putty, Tunnels, and Keys. Now, I think this is the best book out there. Um, and it's where I go when I want to learn more about SSH. Uh, and I put a link in the show notes. Um, I recommend the book very highly. So this is a hookah for Hacker Public Radio signing off and as always encouraging you to, to support free software. Bye-bye. <music>